And you know, overall, we see you know, many of the companies through our, through our PSPs thinking about how do they make sure that they're um, maximizing the offer. So this goes to the shopping cart, right? How are they ensuring that the, that the uh, complex is made simple for consumers? And it really has, uh, has highlighted what's the consumer shopping experience like. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief. Today's guest is Steve Villegas, VP of Payment Partnerships in North America for PPRO. He works with acquirers and payment service providers to give them a single integration to offer a variety of local payment options to their customers. We explore a recent white paper PPRO published about how COVID has impacted consumer spending around the globe and disrupted payments, particularly in cross-border markets. We also discuss how the needs of various players, from merchants to consumers, have changed during this period. Steve Yegas is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, this is uh, Steve Yegas. I am with PPRO. Uh, I am responsible for North America from a sales and partnership perspective. Uh, so in charge of all of our partnerships, uh, PPRO uh, traditionally is a provider of local payments across the globe. Uh, so here specifically in the U.S., we have a lot of uh, large tier one, tier two multinational partners uh, that provide services to merchants around the world uh, from a uh, acquiring and, and payment service provider perspective. Uh, PPRO historically, uh, over the years, it's a 12-year-old company uh, based, uh, in, uh, based in London, that's our headquarters, and founded out of Germany. Uh, and we have uh, built offices across the globe to support the local markets. Uh, and we connect to local payments uh, across the world. And these are not your traditional card payments, but more so the, the various types of payments uh, that those local consumers might consider uh, to use most often. So whether it's uh, bank transfer methods, which are really dominant in Europe, or cash methods, which are you find a lot in LATAM as well as APAC, mm -hmm. uh, or you might see uh, other types of methods like e-wallets, which are really predominant in, 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 in Asia, uh, specifically in China. Uh, so we enable and, uh, and provide a, a model where we provide acquirers and PSPs uh, access to those, uh, and it's through one integration and one contract and one reconciliation. So basically, we take the complex world of local payments, and we try to simplify it for our partners. Uh, today, globally, we support over 150 PSPs uh, and uh, with over 160 methods um, through each of those regions, uh, and we have offices that support those. We're about 280 employees today and, and growing rapidly, uh, especially through this, uh, through this time uh, that we've been in uh, where e-commerce has really, really exploded. Right. So we're hearing that from a lot of guests. E-commerce obviously has exploded. I know um, you guys published a, a white paper recently. Um, is it worth kind of riffing on some of the, the takeaways from that for our audience? Yeah. So that was uh, the Payments in Time of Social Distancing white paper. And it really so, highlighted some key things that, that we are seeing in the marketplace and really look at the first six months this year and some of the transitions. And obviously, you know, retail shopping, as we all know, saw a really uh, large decrease because of foot traffic and having to close and the variety of things that all of us dealt with around the world. Uh, and it, obviously it led to a massive shift in e-commerce. So I think it goes without saying. Uh, but what we saw generally is, you know, when you, when you think about globally, markets varied from a growth in e-commerce where you usually would see typically 10 to 20% growth annually. Uh, and it, you know, it moved a few, a few percentage points up in each region uh, where that really fast forwarded to like 50% growth in the, in, the, uh, in the first three months of, uh, of dealing with COVID-19. Um, and, and you think about the U.S. Historically, we've been around 12% of retail that's done through e-commerce, and and that's real. And we've seen that grow to like 18%. So it's almost like we took 
five to 10 years and fast forwarded in just that short period of time. Uh, and that really deals with consumers' behaviors changing. Uh, and when, you know, when retail didn't open um, or when they finally, when they were, when they were first closed, you saw obviously the shift to uh, many online ways of either ordering mm -hmm. food or ordering groceries or going, going and uh, picking things up in certain, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, shop and, and pick up or you saw uh, obviously the, the growth of just general e-commerce and uh, that really is a big piece of it. And when, he, when retail actually did open up, I think the other thing that we saw from some of the trends and takeaways uh, were the contactless saw uh, sizable growth. So obviously you think about going into stores and social distancing and everyone wearing masks and uh, not wanting to touch things. Well, obviously contactless you know, has, a, has a sizable advantage there uh, versus you know, hitting the keypad uh, with your debit card or credit card. Uh, and so and we also saw you know, cash use less and even some cases retailers moved away from cash when possible. Uh, from a PPRO perspective, some of the dramatic growth that we saw in several uh, e-com areas during the first half, uh, some interesting trends. Uh, we saw uh, women's clothing uh, and saw an increase of 311%. Uh, I know my wife personally, I saw the, uh, the boxes show up at our door a little more often than maybe they did previously. Uh, interesting enough, food and beverage purchases were also up 285%. Uh, and that's obviously indicative of uh, consumers shifting their, their shopping to uh, when they're, you know, many times, whether the restaurants were open or not, uh, doing more online ordering, whether it's pickup or delivery uh, of those, but certainly a lot of e-commerce. I, I bet beer and alcohol was probably big in there if it was deliverable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those <laughs> states where, where they can make that happen, that's yeah. uh, absolutely, we saw, saw that. Uh, I think that what I think that we noticed uh, is there was a tick up. And I mean, there's general growth, but certainly a tick up of gaming, right? Online gaming, whether that's, uh, I think some gambling, but also obviously, you know, video games. Uh, we have several partners that support that segment and uh, certainly saw a sizable growth there, especially uh, right after, uh, I guess you could say, where, the, where schools went online or, or, or uh, shut down for the summer, there was a, a huge growth in, in that segment as well. And what about the PSPs? How have, how have they reacted to, to COVID? Yeah, that's been interesting. Well, first of all, I think for most of us and our partners, I think uh, the majority of people are, are now, you know, still work from home here in the U.S. Um, and in those partners. Uh, and I think that's, you know, from an adjustment from a people side, right? So it definitely packs your day and you're talking to a lot more. Now, from, a, from an actual business perspective and they're, what they're seeing, certainly a shift in, in a greater focus in e-commerce where obviously many of the PSPs or, or, or acquirers that were very retail focused, have had to come up with a, a strategy around uh, helping their merchants uh, make that shift, uh, whether they were moving to online for the first time or uh, growing their online uh, scope uh, and, and trying to find the right partners. And you know, overall, we see you know, many of the companies through our, through our PSPs thinking about how do they make sure that they're um, maximizing the offers. So this goes to the shopping cart, right? How are they ensuring that the, that the uh, complex is made simple for consumers? And it really has uh, has highlighted what's the consumer shopping experience like. And I think we all know, you know the Amazon touch on things and, and how Amazon has made it very simple to shop. And I think most retailers want to be able to provide a similar service so they can compete, uh, whether it's a retail good or service that they're providing. Uh, and I think our, our partners are trying to help them, uh, help, our, help their merchants modify to that, whether that's involving other partners or whether it's uh, in, improving the experience or for where we fall in, it's really ensuring that they have the right payment mix, that they're, they're providing the right payment options. And what we see globally, and, and really from a US perspective, you're talking about cross-border, 
uh, and many of our other regions you're talking about local, uh, it's you're, you're want to make sure you're offering the right, uh, the right payment options. Um, and it's not just about card. In fact, if you look at some of the stats that we have uh, globally, around 77% of the e-commerce purchases this year will be made in some other form besides a credit card, meaning it could be a bank transfer method or as I mentioned, e-wallet, or maybe it's a pay later, or it could be a cash-based method even, where you have a consumer making a, a purchase, uh, going to, uh, you know, making a purchase online, but then having to go to a convenience store to Loving pay for up. that purchase, mm -hmm. uh, an e-commerce purchase through a barcode. So a lot of transitions like that, and PSPs are having to make those adjustments uh, and ensuring that they're educating and working with their merchants in the way that helps them expand their business and their footprint uh, to continue to be, uh, to continue to be profitable. That makes a lot of sense. What are you seeing, Steve, from um, cross-border point of view? Um, how has COVID impacted those types of volumes? I don't know if you have that data. Yeah, so it's continued to obviously it's continued to grow. Uh, and and you think about the U.S. itself, uh, somewhere around five percent in the past have, of our e-commerce transactions have been. Uh, cross-border. Um, and you think about the U.S., of course, very consumer-centric within the borders of the, of the U.S., some cross-border, but we see growth there. I think we've seen that significantly grow over the course of the last uh, quarter. Uh, and that's really where you have more consumers having more time, maybe at home, like many of us are, uh, doing more shopping, doing more investigating online, and finding other, other places they can shop besides just here within the U.S. Uh, and finding out, and the same goes across the globe, right? And I think we've seen what we've really seen is some of those, uh, and you think about Europe and what's happened cross-border there, and they're, they're mostly cross-border because there's so many countries where you've seen some interesting shifts uh, in what's happened with some of the consumer shopping. Example, we saw a huge growth, which is it's kind of interesting, Polish shoppers buying goods and services out of Luxembourg. So I'm not sure if it was mm. just they, they found certain supplies or certain goods and services in, in Luxembourg, and we have, I haven't identified the exact products. I think uh, certainly there's a lot of products they offer. But they're really exploited the uh, the especially younger shoppers using one of the newest mobile methods in Poland called Blick, and so the the, the luxury goods uh, in Luxembourg or other products and services offering Blick uh, through a cross border method, uh, they were able to pick up sales. Uh, and we also saw things like shoppers in the Netherlands buying lots of products out of Ireland and out of Cyprus. Uh, and in the Netherlands, they have to use Ideal, uh, that's a, a bank transfer method that connects to all the banks, uh, and that's what their preference is. Uh, you know, over 60% of the consumers there use that method when they're shopping online. Uh, so we saw, we saw interesting shifts like that. Uh, and you also saw, of course, um, you know, country to country shopping really extended into you know, China, Brazil, and Mexico. Uh, we saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of shopping out of those countries as well. Um, so it's been an interesting time. Um, certainly some of the trends that we were already seeing just got uh, exasperated and, and grew uh, very quickly during this time. What about um, in terms of numbers of options of local payments? Um, are, are we in expansion mode still? Are, are there? Are you seeing, from your perspective, more and more options, or are we more contracting? Like, where are we in that cycle? Yeah, it's interesting. So, I think we are. We're seeing some new methods to come on the. And it, what it really is is it's methods where countries that uh, historically were maybe very heavy cash or maybe more non-banked. Um, or you've seen them have a traditional method and they've moved to, uh, to a uh, more of a mobile method. So, for example, I mentioned Blick in Poland. Uh, that's a method that's been around for just a few years now, but it now has been one of the fastest growing methods in Europe uh, because of the, the mobile enablement that it has and the, the one-click shopping capability and things like reoccurring. So you're seeing some new technologies that are coming about in various markets 
that may help to leapfrog uh, you know older technologies um, that would have uh, that would have served maybe the previous generations. And so I think you're seeing shifts like that take place. So I would say that's where the expansion is. Uh, but you also see consolidation happening in some of the payment methods, um, where uh, you know, methods may come and and, and form a, a joint force in in order to uh, to solve other market problems collectively. Um, so it's it's an interesting time. I think as technology continues to advance, you'll see, and and as consumers around the world continue to uh, have more mobile enablement, uh, their smartphones become um, better at processing, better at security, uh, and enablement there for the consumer part portion of the uh, the processing. You'll see advancement of other payment methods as well. Certainly, you know, you think about China and the e-wallets, Alipay and WeChat Pay. Mm -hmm. uh, those, of course, have been significant for the last few years. Uh, but they've even taken on a greater amount of significance um, during the course of the last uh, several months. Uh, now, notwithstanding what's happening uh, with the with the government here in uh, uh, in putting a, a you know a stop on uh, on WeChat um, specifically, yeah. So it's uh, but certainly globally they still see a large advancement. So at least on the U.S. side, um, are there? I, I, if if a young startup comes to you and has an idea for a new payment method, like are there are there niche opportunities that are still kind of ripe for to 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 take advantage of? Uh, there are in certain markets for sure, uh, and I think if somebody can continue continue to figure out how to build the bridge uh, around the banking technologies, right? And I think some of this goes back to even thinking about Europe and what's happening with PSD two and open banking. Mm -hmm. uh, and the opportunity to collectively work with the banks as open banking takes place and to provide technologies that allow the banks to continue to keep their piece of the pie but enable new technologies, that's where I think we'll see uh, more of the you know, startups find that niche. Uh, and you also still have emerging markets like India, which uh, obviously Rupay and Paytm uh, and others are, are, are starting to really dominate or they're dominating that market. And they're starting to expand into more cross-border opportunities. We're working with them right now, uh, as well as with the banks. Um, and then you think about Africa. Uh, M-Pesa has really established uh, a lot through you know, several countries there, but there's other methods that are uh, going to continue to, uh, to grow. Uh, and that's, those are niche markets. And I think over time, you'll see both new technologies as well as stability in, certain, in, in those certain markets, banking systems, uh, that may play into a part of uh, what the, the next set of uh, payment types might look like. Interesting. Are there payment, this is kind of a weird question, are there payment methods uh, in the U.S. that fascinate you? Uh, that's, that is a good question. Um, you know, I, I think the, what's, what we're seeing uh, is the, the, probably the rise of some of the afterpays. And that's what I think fascinates mm -hmm. me from uh, understanding the consumer adoption for some of the, uh, the pay laters or uh, the Klarna types of payments. Um, that are, are you know, traditionally have been more credit card related, right? When people would wanted to buy something, use credit cards or put it on, you know, put it on a credit card and it collect interest in this way, it's a little bit different dynamic. And so you're seeing a shift in consumer behaviors. So I'm interested to just see what's, you know, what's the, what's the evolution of that? Uh, what's that going to look like? Will that turn into a, another consumer line of credit or is it going to stick with the traditional pay later where you're able to, you know, slice up your, your uh, purchase into several payments uh, or, you know, one or two payments and, and what the evolution of that will look like. And is it going to take on other form factors? Are banks going to start to look at that as an option versus the traditional types of cards where you're, you're paying an exorbitant amount of interest in some cases, right? Um, where maybe previous generations have really uh, seen that as the way for, for purchases and this new uh, pay later type of purchase becomes mm -hmm. 
the better way to do it because it's, it's less costly and it, and it helps consumers budget. Um, and you know, what's, what are our banks, our traditional banks and, and issuing banks going to look at that as a, uh, as a more of an option. So it'll be interesting to see what, what that happens in that, in that space. Uh, I also think, you know, I think I also think there's going to be, uh, you know, further enablement of things like, you know, how is, how is PayPal, you know, they, they saw significant growth in this last quarter uh, and how are some of their products um, going to help, uh, help the ecosystem, whether it's the e-commerce ecosystem or the traditional retail ecosystem um, be, uh, be more uh, efficient uh, in, in how they're doing business. Can you be more specific about what those products are that, that you, you envision, you know, being more influential? Yeah, so I think some of the, the, the uh, you know, think about some of the bank transfer products or, or the real-time uh, bank or P2P products that are traditional P2P. Um, will we see those turn into more, uh, you know, B2C or, or, or you know, consumer to, to business um, purchases? Will, will some of those products be, be better enabled so it becomes more of a real-time ACH or a real-time bank transfer, much like we see with some of the banks in Europe? You know, today, traditionally, Anytime a, even a debit card uh, purchase is made, uh, there's a traditional timeline uh, that takes place, and and when that you know how long the funds are actually held when they're actually deposited at retailer, which it could take a day to two to get to that retailer, um, and the the new P2P platforms that allow uh, allow transfer to happen oftentimes are very much real time, and so I think you're going to see and in real time payments obviously is a is a buzz in the industry. Um, how are how are some of the the uh, more tech, technical enabled players uh, like a PayPal and others? How are they going to look at these technologies that may become more disruptive in the future uh, to some of the banking uh, systems that exist today? Um, so I think it'll be interesting to, to see what, you know what happens in that part of the industry as well. I appreciate that. That was very insightful. Um, in the remaining time we have, I'm curious to know what you and your team stateside are, are focused on. I guess through the end of 2020, we're almost there. Thank goodness. And looking out at 2021, um, like what are your big priorities? What are you guys focused on? Yeah, right now it's uh, just prepping for the holiday season. Um, we have a, a lot of uh, new partners that are uh, getting ready to integrate and go live as well as we have a lot of uh, existing partners that are continuing to grow and expand. And part of that growth and expansion is prepping for the holiday season, uh, ensuring you know, all the big retailers that are doing e-commerce and the ones that we support uh, through our PSP partners. Um, that they're that we are ready and ensure that uh, we support the growth uh, and uh, and any anything that uh, maybe need to be enabled, uh, right? And there's several payment methods that have come aboard in the last uh, you know couple of years that uh, we're seeing growth in and in, in ensuring that the stability and and the growth uh, is supported there. Um, so that's that's I would say number one. Number two is really planning for the future, planning for next year, uh, understanding that you know the the growth of e-commerce continues to accelerate. Um, we continue to expand our roadmap from a payments, uh, payment options uh, and looking at new markets, um, you know, where we can expand. Traditionally, we do mostly cross-border. Uh, we continue to invest in new markets where we can do local collection and local settlement. And we think that we'll see, uh, you know, a greater expansion and need there as uh, companies continue to look at their expansion plans um, and, and look at providers uh, and, their, and their partners on how they can, uh, can support that. Uh, and then it's continue to grow the team, right? From an account support standpoint, as we add more uh, new partners here in the U.S. and then multinational partners that we support that are across the globe, uh, ensuring we have the the right uh, the right people on board to help with that expansion. Uh, and then, uh, and really, I think what I'm looking forward to is uh, it, you know as soon as we get back to being able to go and meet with our partners, you know, the last six months have been you know all Zoom meetings or what have you, whatever 
take, pick your video format and that's what it's been. So looking forward to getting back out there and, and meeting with partners, uh, either at conferences or uh, you know, on-site and QBRs and, and, and various other modes that we have uh, of meeting with them to, uh, to, you know, to have that time and to spend and, uh, and ensure that we're uh, you know, on the same page and, and uh, looking forward to, the, to an even brighter future. Steve, great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate the time.